Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. This podcast is fueled by Ditto, a team that is on a mission to eliminate team burnout by implementing systems and processes that streamline your business's growth. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Marquis. I'm your host. And today I'm speaking with Jonna Lee. Jonna has over four years experience as a COO and operations consultant for digital entrepreneurs. She specializes in executing scalable team and systems infrastructure and harnessing the true power of operations as a lever for compound growth. Her passion lies in scaling purpose-based businesses and partnering with the founding entrepreneurs to unlock their highest potential and impact. Welcome to the show, Jonna. Thanks, Marky. It's awesome to be here. I'm so glad you could take the time out to be here and uh, and uh, chat with me today. I'm excited to dive in. I mean, looking at your website and understanding what you do, I mean, I feel like we're the same person in, in some cases. <laughs> so I'm really interested to to dive in and see, you know, how you differ and how your 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 consultancy differs from what we do at Ditto. But I'd love to just get you to expand a bit more on your story, how you got your start um, in consulting. You've had some success working with other companies in the COO role. Would love to just start there and just understand where are you coming from and how did you get to where you're at right now? Yeah, let's dive into it. So uh, before I found operations, I was quite literally directionless. I was living in a converted van with my boyfriend at the time, and we were traveling through all of North and South America, just going wherever the wind took us. Um, and I was working kind of a series of remote jobs at the time. And, you know, I would be a writer for a marketing firm or, you know, this, that, the other thing. And it was, it was all good work. I was good at it, but it wasn't me at my highest potential. And I knew that. And it was frustrating to me because I, I felt like I hadn't found what that vehicle was that allowed me to take all of my talent and passion and, and desire to serve and impact and actually translate that into something that could drive real value to a business, to a team. And so I, I very much stumbled into operations. I ended up joining said boyfriend's company. It was going to be like a 30 day stint filling in for an account manager who had left suddenly. And once I got in there, I, there was just so many gaps. There was just so many inefficiencies and it was all very obvious and clear to me. And so I just started closing them. I started fixing them. And it was so strange because I didn't understand, like, if it was so obvious to me, why hadn't it been done before? And as I began to work with this business, I came to realize that actually the reason it hadn't been done is because nobody was looking at the business the way that I saw it. They didn't see the gaps. They didn't see the problem with those gaps. They didn't see what the solution to those gaps would be. It was a unique lens I was bringing into the business. And over time, I figured out that that lens is operations. Um, and so I went on to become the CEO of that business. After that, I was that was a, a marketing agency. Uh, I then went to become the COO for a coaching program that coached hundreds of marketing agencies. And that was an amazing experience because I was also the head operations coach within that program. So I got access to the inner workings of hundreds of different digital businesses. And just that enormous wave of data 
really allowed me to understand the best practices of operations. What effectively allows a business to scale? What are the common pitfalls and obstacles that will stagnate a business and stop it from scaling? And what are the, like kind of the key mechanisms for growth there? And so after enough time there, I realized that I needed to share that information with more than just one company. And so I started my own business in order to reach more companies, serve more companies, more teams, and connect them with the operational skills that they need to truly grow and scale. What a great story. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, it's interesting that you really just fell into that position and it was supposed to be a short-term thing, but you ended up staying longer and finding this out about yourself. Um, if you think back, you know, you're, you're on this, you know, converted van and yeah. that's another story. I mean, like yeah. I, I've, I've gone down rabbit holes on TikTok where like I'm seeing school buses and vans being oh, yeah. converted. And so I'm thing. curious to see what yours looks like, but the, the question is really, <laughs> If you had to think back, was there a moment or a series of events over your life or your career to that mm. date where you, you know, can pinpoint and say, I can attribute, you know, those learnings and those experiences and the way that I interact with people and the way that I solve problems that made you think, huh, I am an operations person that made this new, you know, venture a bit more easy to take on and for you to see what mm. those gaps were? Mm. Great, great question. I think... I didn't have a clear uh, definition of what operations is for a long time. And I think many operators don't, uh, many business owners don't, right? Like operations is not a very well-defined, well-understood thing. Uh, the big, one of the big moments for me was when I read the book Rocket Fuel, because it's by Gino Wickman. He draws a distinction between the visionary and the integrator type. And I saw so much of myself in the integrator. And that was the first time I had a word for what I was. Like I was the first time I had an identity that I could attach myself to and start to work towards. And that was really powerful for me um, to realize that like operations isn't just the everything person. Operations isn't the generally competent person. There's a definition for operations. There's a definition of success. There's a way that operations drives value to a business. I actually have something I can work towards and get better at. And that was very powerful for me um, and I was able to really, at that point, focus a lot of what I was learning, a lot of what I was testing in the business, the mentors that I sought out to refine my skill set around that definition. Very interesting. And what did that learning and testing look like? Because I know on your website, it says that you, you know, you've helped, um, I think it was this same agency, maybe, maybe I'm wrong and correct me if I am, but um, you, you took their revenues from, you know, six figures to seven figures and you've done that multiple times. So obviously it's like a learning process, but what did your learning and testing look like and how did you really measure and bring the business to that next stage? Yeah, great question. I think step one was intuition. And I think this is what makes an amazing operator versus not is like operators all have this underlying lens, this underlying talent that says, when I look at a set of data, I see systems, I see patterns, I see gaps, I see ways that they're interacting together, right? Like that's just the lens that we bring to everything. I bring that to my Thanksgiving dinner with my family, right? Like I can't turn it off. And so starting yeah. the journey, it was a lot of just intuition, right? Of I see this gap, I'm going to take a stab at solving it and we'll see what happens. As I got more refined in the process, it was the matter of finding mentors. This was huge, finding mentors that I could validate those hypotheses against because I didn't know what I didn't know. And it made me very unconfident 
trying to just take a stab at something, take a guess, because my intuition told me that might be the right thing to do. So it was powerful for me to have a council of mentors that I could go to and say, hey, am I on the right track here? Am I missing anything? Is there anything I'm not seeing? Am I totally off? And getting the feedback from them more and more consistently that like, nope, you're right on. Nope, you've got it. Nope, you've thought it through. That was really powerful for me as far as starting to build my own trust in myself and confidence in my skill set that said, hey, if I've seen a problem that I've never seen before, my tuition, intuition is generally correct in terms of what the problem is and how to solve it. Compounding with that, I read a lot of books and I still do. And it was the process of just taking all the learnings from the books that I had read, trying to apply those best practices within the business and then just straight up test it, like see what data I got back from the business as far as what worked, what didn't work, how we can grow, improve, get better. Um, but that kind of trial and error process over the course of years brought me to where I am today. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. And earlier when you said that you bring stuff like that to like Thanksgiving dinner, I mean, I I totally get that. I mean, um, my wife who doesn't listen to this podcast won't ever hear this, but, um, you know, whenever we get into uh, an argument or have a disagreement, I should say, right. Like my tendency and a lot of people's tendency is to like, want to fix it. I'm thinking Mm. 20 steps ahead. Like it it maybe not even be an argument, you know, it could just be anything at all. And we take that into business. We take that to family. And we're always just thinking 20 steps ahead as to what are the different potential outcomes? What's the best way to, to go about this. And so I definitely resonate with, with what you said there. Um, I'm curious, you know, through your, your, your getting advice from mentors and seeking out that learning, you're reading a lot of books. Um, when did you feel like you were confident enough and how, like, how long did it really take you to really like sit in that seat where Mm. you could become that mentor for others? Cause you're now consulting, you're now coaching. Did you feel like there was like a, flip of the switch moment? Did you need to receive that validation from, you know, clients or Mm. one of your coaches? What did that look like as you transitioned into this consultant and business owner? Totally. It was, it was definitely validation, but I think it was validation from the business itself, right? I needed to see enough times that I identify a gap. I design a solution to the gap. I execute that solution. And then the business shows me that it works. The bottom line improves or the business becomes more efficient or the team, right? Like, like I see the desired outcome in the business itself that helps me complete the feedback loop that says, yeah, that was the right move. Right. And so I think I had to build that over time and it was a very organic process. And what I find challenging about operations is that there is, there's not well-documented best practices. Like the things that I came up with aren't novel or unique. I just spent enough time testing them to bring language to them, to bring concepts to them, to actually be able to give it infrastructure. What I do is what a lot of operators do, but in my experience speaking with operators, they don't know what it is that they do. They don't know what to call it. They don't know how to advocate for it. They don't know how to explain it to maybe their visionary or to the members of their team. And it's actually an enormous disservice to the business world that operations is so poorly understood and poorly supported in that way because your business owner doesn't know what it is that you do. They don't know how you drive value to a business. They don't know how to support you and train you in that role. And so their lack of understanding and your lack of ability to speak about it actually creates this big gap where a lot of value that you could be bringing to the business is lost. 
You're not able to advocate for the projects that you should be doing. You're not able to like carve out enough time and space for yourself to actually execute the deliverables that you know how to do. And so a big mm-hmm. part of the challenge of being an operator, I think, is learning the best practices and the language and the theory behind it so that you're able to speed up that learning curve. It doesn't take so much trial and error. You're able to get more validation from it quickly, and you're able to actually create enough time and space for yourself to do the testing and to figure it out. And so for all those reasons is really why I started my operator training and coaching programs, because there's so many talented operational people, people who have that lens and that way of looking at the world. But because the skill set is not well understood, they are executive assistants and they're, you know, project managers or office managers. They're serving at a fraction of the potential that they could be bringing into the business only because they don't well understand their own skill set. Their business doesn't well understand their skill set and they don't know how to advocate for it. Wow. I'm, I'm watching you. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can you can see Jonna's, you know, passion. I'm getting goosebumps just listening to you speak. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious when you're, you know, helping these businesses or these operators identify um, their own leadership bottlenecks. And you mentioned that they don't know that they don't know process or they don't know that they're missing out on these things. Like, do they typically know that they're the bottleneck? And are, are you coming in and having to, you know, affirm them and say, yep, I'm, I'm here to help you. You know what you want. I'm going to fix it. Or is part of your problem coming in? They say they want A and you realize, oh no, you actually need B, C, D, E, F and, you know, so on and so on. And like, what does that look like? How do they receive that feedback from yeah. you? And, and what does the process look like to get them over to the side where they can trust you and say, you know what, you're right. I'm definitely, this is, this is what I need. You're the expert. I, uh, to solve that problem, my team built out what we call the ops inspection. I don't know if you've ever taken a car marquee into like a dealership or a mechanic shop and they give you that like 120 point checklist Uh, of here's all the things that are going to fail in your car and here's when, and here's why, right? We've built that before a business. So we have our checklist that we, we can do a deep dive. We can pop the hood on your business, do a deep dive audit into everything like systems, Slack, team, leadership, org chart, p like it's the whole thing. We have one-on-ones with your team, the whole thing. And we have built the report so we can give you the diagnosis of here's what's going to fail in your business. Here's when it's going to fail and here's why. And at the end of that report, I receive very little pushback about somebody saying, I don't believe you and I don't think you know what you're talking about. But it definitely took something so rigorous where you are able to really build that game plan for them and clarify all of the reasons that they are as stuck as they are, that they're as frustrated as they are, that they feel like their time is being spent poorly or their team isn't responding in the way they want it. Like when you're able to help them understand why those things are happening, they tend to trust that you have the solution to fix them. I love it. Um, yeah, hearing just about your process, and I definitely want to spend some more time there, is mm. um, you mentioned this this deep dive in your checklist. You're making me feel like I need a checklist because of Ditto, <laughs> our process is, is, is very similar. And when, mm. I, when I, you know, started, you know, naming out the phases, I thought that deep dive was something that was like revolutionary. I'm like, oh, it's such a cool name, but everyone's got their own version of the deep sure. dive. So we sure. may have to change it. But yeah, <laughs> ours looks like we come in, 
and there are interviews or meeting with the leadership or meeting yeah. with um, the different stakeholders or, um, that are in charge of the different business units. And, you know, that process will take us, you know, six to eight weeks, depending on how much we're looking at. And, you know, the, the we do mm-hmm. follow a process in our in our deep dive interview calls. We don't have that yep. ops, you know, in, in inspection checklist. Mm. So first mm. question is, how long is that usually taking you to get through that? And yep. earlier you said that, you know, nothing is unique, right? Like you don't have templates that you follow. So how do you take this checklist then and then apply it to businesses if, mm. you know, everyone is so different and then get that same outcome? Sure. Great question. Great question. Yeah. So the way that I've built it, it is super intensive for me and my team to do this, but we condense it down to one week. So we take one week to deep dive into everything about your business. And then on our end, we have like very rigorously, um, as you can imagine, systemized our own internal workflows around that to make that efficient and doable for us. Um, And then it's like a 90 minute report of findings to walk people through exactly what we found as part of that process. As far as like, how do you go about systemizing something that is so case by case, the, the way we were able to build the checklist, because it wasn't always that, it used to be a totally organic report that I built from the ground up, unique every time. Then after about doing that like mm. 20, 25 times and reviewing the results, I realized that 90% of the bottlenecks were the same. They didn't show up exactly the same way. Okay. But the core underlying disconnect or the core underlying gap was there. And so after enough data, we were actually able to build, it's a 25 point list. What is specific, like what that bottleneck specifically looks like for you and your business is entirely unique. But if you have that bottleneck, we know where to look for it. We know how to find it and we know how to explain it to you. And we've built the report exactly like that mechanics report. Not all bottlenecks are, are unhealthy, right? We have a good, better, best, like this is a critical bottleneck. This could be better, or this is absolutely healthy. You don't have to worry about it. And so we're able to diagnose the business across those 25 points. And a lot of times for the, well, not often, but businesses will be happy to know that actually your leadership style is not diminishing your team and like standing in their way of, of executing their highest performance within your business. You are actually, your meeting menus are tight and your communication rhythms are solid and you are not like overstructuring the communication within your company, right? So we're actually able to give them good news alongside the bad of where they don't need to do additional improvement, but then reveal where the critical bottlenecks are that are preventing those healthy parts of the business from doing their best and having their highest effect. Wow. I, I want to know more about what the iteration <laughs> of that process looks like, because it sounds like you've got it like really nailed down. But before we get there, if you could identify like the top three bottlenecks, because you said mm-hmm. that a lot of them are are, are really the same. What yeah. are these operators and these owners coming up against, um, whether they know it or not? And like, what yep. are you un- uncovering through these different engagements? Yeah, the most common that I would say... So first off, I should say that the inspection spans six different categories. So there's probably a a top one or two bottlenecks in each of those. Across the board, I would say the most, I would say the, let me, let me put it this way, because they're all critical, right? But the highest leverage bottlenecks, the ones that have to move first in in order for everything else to flow, starts with leadership, always. How is the leadership, the C-suite, that CEO individually enabling the team or disabling the team 
in their ability to work proactively, in their ability to bring critical innovation into the company, in their ability to own their roles, in their ability to perform at their highest potential level. So a lot of the work that I end up doing, Marquis, is actually one-on-one consulting with that executive or that executive team around what is management? What is leadership? How do you hire? How do you train? How do you hold people accountable in a remote work environment? And how do you motivate them to want to bring their best to the table? Because what you see as a business owner is my team is coming to me for everything. If I stepped away for a weekend, everything would break apart. My team is never generating any ideas. They're coming to me with the same question, even though I've answered it for them 10 times already. Like, why is this happening? right? And it's all on the team. Because you haven't documented your processes. It's that, right? But it's also, they've created an environment where their team is not invited to bring their best to the table, where their team is not motivated mm. to bring their best to the table. They've created an environment where they they have retained ownership over be, being the brain of that role and being the brain of the company. So every time a critical decision needs to be made, they're the ones to make it. Every time a new innovation needs to be rolled out, they're the ones who need to have that idea. They've locked themselves into the head of the pyramid where nothing can move forward without Mm. them because in their leadership and management style, they never transferred full ownership of the role. They never bothered to train their team, not just on how to do the job, but why do we do the job this way? How does your job drive value to this business? How can you take ownership for results as opposed to just tasks? And when that's a critical leadership gap, a team of A players will show up as B players. Nobody is invited or interested in bringing their best to the table. And why would they? You're the boss. You tell me what to do. You obviously know the right way of doing it. Why would I ever question that? Yeah. On a previous episode, um, someone said, you know, that these businesses or these roles, like it's like, it's your baby. You're so protective over it. So when, sorry, is there resistance in in communicating that? Like, what does that look like? Like, Do do the, the operators say, you know what, I've been doing it like this, this whole time. Um, It's going to be either hard for me to change or, I don't want to change. Do you walk away from the mm. engagement and disqualify them? Or like, do, do you stick with it, follow the process and get them through? Mm, great question. That's the additional advantage to the inspection is that for me internally, we're able to qualify our clients as well, how they receive that information, right? Like all I'm doing is holding up a mirror. I'm not really telling them anything they don't already know. I'm just clarifying the problems in a new way. If people look at that in the mirror and they realize mm-hmm. that at the end of the day, their business is a reflection of themselves and it all comes back to them. If they aren't willing to grapple with that and be like coachable and humble enough to square off with that, there's not much I can do for you. Slash, It's not worth my team's time and energy and investment to try and convince you of that. But when you see that yeah. clarified for you, If you're willing and able to take radical ownership for like, okay, cool. Every critical bottleneck across this report stems back to me. But in that, I have the opportunity to evolve myself and therefore evolve my business. And I'm willing to take that challenge on with the proper supporting guidance. Then I will move forward and work with you. So we don't put forward a proposal to every client that we do an audit and an inspection for. It's only for the clients that we see as ourselves actually being able to serve and help. And we see in them a coachability and a willingness to evolve that would allow us to actually get somewhere with them. Got it. Interesting. Um, I'm curious what, like 
percentage, you don't have to talk hard numbers, but um, out of a full engagement, what percentage um, of an investment is is the audit and the checklist for that for that um, client? Because what we often find is that people don't really want to pay to be told like what they already know. They already know what the problem is. So it's incredible that you got this process down to a week. Um, or do you have the full like rollout plan? Like you see the vision 20 steps ahead, or is this just, Hey, this is what we found. Let's continue talking so we can mm-hmm. tell you how to fix it. Mm, yeah. The inspection is purely diagnostic. So we only focus on what's going wrong. <laughs> Where are the problems, right? We aren't diving into what the actual design and execution of those solutions is going to be. That's what they would pay us for if we were to work together ongoing, right? In a consulting or one of my coaching or training capacities. Um, That being said, I find that the clarification, like a a client at the end of an inspection told me like, it feels like an a thousand pound backpack just got taken off my back. Because even Mm. if I knew that there were problems, I didn't have a clear and simple way of understanding why those problems exist I didn't have a clear step-by-step of in what order I need to resolve those problems and how they actually all link together so that I understand where I plug into that solution, where my operator would plug into that solution. Or maybe I didn't know I needed an operator, but thank you for telling me. And now like I can work with you to go hire that person, right? Like it was, it's, it's the clarification of the game plan that says your business is no longer growing and scaling in the way you want it to. Let me help you understand why. Mm. Incredible. Um, I, I want to ask about something you said earlier about motivating remote teams because, yeah, the leader yeah. and their direction and how they work and what their style looks like is so important to the success of any business, right? If we're having a bad day, everyone's having a bad day. If we want to, you know, hide behind mm. our our camera that's off, you know, then I feel like people can see that a lot of times. Totally. And so. Um, if we were to talk about best best practices, right? I think March 2020, the world changed and everyone had to kind of figure yeah. this out. What are some of your yeah. best practices for motivating the remote mm. team and mm. getting them to, you know, buy in? Um, there's this there's this meme that I shared on Instagram a little bit ago where there are two people sitting at a kitchen table. They're on opposite sides of this table. Um, and you know, the first person puts down like a bowl of soup or something in front of the other one and says, here, have this. And then in the next screen, the person that received the soup is throwing it away. And the, like the, the text (laughs) over the images is like the business owner is receiving the soup and the person giving the soup is the team Mm. offering help. And then the business owner is like, no, Mm. I don't need your help. Get out of here. So I feel Mm. like sometimes we do it to ourselves. Um, but like, but like our team is there, they're ready, they're, they're eager to help. So like, how do we motivate them when either that like drive has been lost or it's just never been there in the first place? Yeah, totally. So my number one best practice when it comes to building a high performance remote team is that you as a leader need to get really, really good and like actually strategic. Like there's a set of tools you can learn to do this, to build intrinsic motivation as opposed to relying on extrinsic motivation. I don't know if you've ever read the book Drive by Dan Pink, but this totally shifted my thinking on this. Wherein the, like the, the, the statistics are in, the studies have been done. External motivators are marginally effective at best. Sometimes they can actually be counterproductive 
in creative type roles. So when I say external motivator, I'm talking raises, I'm talking promotions, I'm talking new job title, I'm talking carrots and sticks, things in the external environment that are the management best practices we've heard so much about, right? But the statistics very clearly show that's not how you get the best performance out of somebody. That's not how you motivate them. What motivates people is intrinsic. It's what comes from within them, right? I talk about it as push versus pull leadership. If you have to be behind your team, pushing them up this mountain every single day, which is what I see all the time, right? That's, hey, where are we at with this client? Hey, just following up on this. Hey, why isn't this done yet? Hey, where's this project at, right? That's push. You are you are getting behind them and you are shoving them up the hill. That is such an expenditure of time and energy and effort, your time and energy and effort as a business owner. That's just inefficient. Or as a manager in general, that's just inefficient, right? Versus building an environment in which every individual on that hill is pulling themselves upward, where they are intrinsically motivated to move, you don't need to push them. You just need to tell them which direction to run. That is a high performance environment. That's a highly motivated environment because every individual is intrinsically motivated, right? And intrinsic motivation comes down to three core pillars. Autonomy, Autonomy is the ability to control your own life, to have agency, to be able to make choices. The biggest thing that I see in business owners, they're like, oh, I don't want to be a micromanager, but I feel like I have to be, right? You are robbing your people of autonomy. You're robbing them of their ability to make their own decisions around how they do their job, when they show up, what their working day looks like. If you are trying to, in, in, the, in the name of service, right, or supporting them or making sure they do the right work, you are dictating all of those things. You're not just removing their creativity from the role, you're removing their autonomy. And in doing that, you're diminishing their intrinsic motivation. They're not going to want to show up and bring their best to the table in that kind of environment. So autonomy is pillar number one. Pillar number two is mastery. Mastery is the desire to be good at something. I love this. Human beings are intrinsically motivated to grow. We want progress. We want growth. We want to evolve a skill set and feel like we're becoming good at something. Are you as an owner or a manager in your business painting the picture for them? Why them showing up and doing their job as well as possible is a vehicle for their growth, right? They're not showing up and giving their best for you. They don't give a shit about you or your business, right? It's not like we're selfish creatures, but if they're showing up and doing their job for them, as a vehicle for what they want in life and their goals and their growth, well, they're going to give you their best. Again, not for you, but for themselves. And so mastery is number two. And then number three is purpose. People want to feel like their work matters. They want to feel like they're a part of something bigger. They want to feel like they're a part of a community that cares and values them. So are, that's why that's why businesses have vision and mission statements, right? It's not to put some like yeah. bullshit shiny poster on a wall. It's to create purpose within their team. So are you as an owner and manager bringing every decision back to the mission statement for the company, handing out every reward, behavioral reward, and calling people out for their amazing work through the context of your core values, right? Like, are you using these tools that you've built to actually motivate and create purpose within your team? Autonomy, mastery, purpose. Hey everyone, it's me, Marquis. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you a bit more about Ditto. If you've been listening to In Systems We Trust for a while, you've heard firsthand accounts of how systems and workflows change the landscape of work for businesses and leaders across the globe. Ever felt like there just aren't enough hours in the day? 
Is your startup starting to grow and scale and you're wondering how your systems will scale with it? Maybe you're part of a widespread multi-level corporation that needs to update and overhaul its standard operating procedures. Well, if you can relate, Ditto can help. Eliminate team burnout, keep your best talent, and have a clear system in place to help you and your business achieve your goals. Visit thinkditto.com to learn more. Wow, Jonna. Um, Thank you so much. I mean, like, yeah, autonomy, mastery, purpose. I love it. And as you're talking, again, I'm just getting goosebumps. Like, I want to keep chatting. Um, It made me think, (laughs) like, we have our, our core values. Within Ditto, and mm. uh, you know, when when it relates to autonomy, where you started going there was like people want to live their life how they want to, right? And yes. so that yeah. corresponds to our core value, which is freedom without hindrance mm. or obligation, right? Like mm. you, it's not just for our customers, it's mm. not just for our clients, it's not just for me, the leader, it's for everybody, right? That. And that's become so much more important. And we're going to get to this next when we talk about work-life balance, but you know, people really want that. Mm. And so that really resonated for me. And then purpose, you know, um, where they want to believe that their, their work matters or know that their work matters. Yeah. And that corresponds to our core value, which is, you know, doing meaningful work. Mm. And that into like coming in and, you know, you, you may have heard the term before where like, we're not curing cancer or we're not putting people on the moon, you know, or putting them into space, you know, but it, it's, it's still so important because we're, we're literally changing the lives of yep. team members. Yep. We're changing the lives of these operators. You know, our, our vision and mission is to eliminate team burnout. We mm. want to our teams mm. to do the skilled work that they're hired to do without the issue of not knowing where or how that work is happening, right? So mm. that's beautiful. When, when we can come in, you use the analogy of the backpack coming off. Our clients have right. told us that it's like therapy when, yeah. when they can finally get all this stuff out and they can see a solution um, yeah. coming. So yep. um, so much that I was able to take away from that. And I'm going to have to listen back to this episode <laughs> and take some more notes because it's so good. Um, in, in regards to... In, in regards to autonomy, um, yeah. do you think that there is a fine line there where like you're, you're, there's too much autonomy happening, like where you're so removed or mm-hmm. you're, you know, um, naive or, you know, whatever it may be. Like, do you think sure. that there's a place where operators can get to where they're not managing enough and they're not monitoring enough and then yes. things can start to, to slip through the cracks? Totally. Totally. The biggest mistake that I see when I start to coach somebody on this is that they will like whiplash to the far other end of the spectrum. Right. So hear me when I say, right. Delegation is not the same as abdication right? You're not just going hands off the wheel. You're not just flying away and saying, I'm giving you autonomy, run with it, right? Like that's not effective leadership either. The metaphor that I use, Marquis, is one of stepping off the field where before you were a player in the game, you are now the coach on the sidelines. The coach is still very involved. The coach still plays a very important role. The coach is watching the play. They're replaying the play at the end of the game with the team. Here's what went well. Here's where we could have done better. They are coaching each individual to fill their role as best as they possibly can. They're individualizing the drills and the practice and the diet to make sure that that person is set up for success, right? You're the coach. You are still very involved. You're just not a player on the field anymore. You're not holding the hand of your player to kick the ball. You're not telling them what to do every single second of the day, but you're building the ecosystem and the team 
in which they are motivated and able to do their best work. So it is not abdication, right? You are still very much there. You're having one-on-one check-ins with them. You're engaging in ongoing training and coaching with them. You're making sure that they're constantly seeing the growth path represented for themselves within your business. You're building an environment of A players around which they're able to work and learn from. Like you're doing all these things. Management is a full-time freaking job, but you're just not on the player micromanaging the action. Wow. Wow. And so what um, size of companies are you working with? Because if we're looking at like uh, an SMB or a mid-market, you know, um, company where you're working with the leadership, right, their org structure is very different and it may not be the right time or they may not be able to, you know, invest in the right people and, sure. you know, remove themselves and just have those check-ins and be assigning one-on-ones to, you know, um, their management team. And so yeah. can you describe, maybe give me like, two scenarios maybe, or your your most common scenario where you'll come in and, you know, kind of prescribe what that, that structure, that format should look like for leaders so that they can do those things, but still have that uh, level of autonomy with their, with their team members. Totally. So I work with businesses anywhere from about a hundred K per month on the, the low end to about a million per month on the high end. And in that that's obviously a pretty wide range. So there's different uh, action items needed at each step of the process. If I was to give you an example of the low end of that range, right? We're talking about a business that has just gotten to the point where that visionary, that business owner is able to start investing in higher, like higher performance talent. They're maybe able to start to hire that first operator. They've built out their core team. And now they're trying to figure out how to scale their work through that team and execution through that team. They need to have the initial systems foundation and infrastructure. And if they don't, they're in a whole bunch of pain. Um, and they are still wearing a lot of hats. And I, I mean that significantly, like one of the biggest challenges I see business owners run into is that they're not aware of which hats they still have to wear within the business because they are coming from a place of having to wear every single hat. And they don't recognize that when they hire that account manager, they are literally taking that hat off their head and putting it on the head of the account manager. No longer a hat that you need to wear, right? When they are, uh, And then as you start to build out a leadership team, right, you as the business owner to start are everybody's manager, like you are the manager, right? But as you bring in a head of client success, that's a hat that you get to take off. As you bring in your operator, that's a hat that you get to take off. And so it's my, my coach calls it a schizophrenic tea party. Like it's the art of having the conversation with yourself, wearing all of these different hats. And then as you scale, being very just self-aware and cognizant of what hats the company needs to continue you to continue to wear. And you're going to start to wear the CEO hat more and more and more at the far end of that spectrum, right? Like the a million per month. Now we're talking about a team that ideally has a, a senior or a team lead in charge of every single department. They have the beginnings of a C-suite that is overseeing and setting the long-term vision and direction for the company. And the challenges that I see there are one of, How do you still make the right decision for your business when you are now fully removed from the day-to-day? What does that visibility look like? What does that data look like? What does that, what do those communication flows look like that enable you to do the right work, make the right decisions without stepping back onto the field and getting in your team's way? Those are great questions that you're asking. 
and I'm sure those uh, those owners are sitting there and they're they're just stumped and you know starting to sweat a little bit because they don't have answers to yeah. those questions. But yeah. I, I can see why people definitely want to work with you. When you were talking about the hats, made me think of uh, um, Chris Ronzio at Trainual. They mm. they did this really cool marketing campaign where he walked out of his office and you know he was literally wearing a stack of hats. baseball hats. <laughs> It's like that. different names of roles on top of it. And then mm-hmm. like he's talking about the progression of his business, he's walking through the office, he takes off a hat, gives it to yep. someone else. Like that's what it. we're doing. Right. Yep. But a lot of yep. owners, they just want to like hoard all the yeah. hats. You know, they want to like keep that to themselves because either they're afraid or they don't yep. trust their team. And, you know, yep. there are, there are red flags even around that kind of thing. Do you see that happening at all? Totally. Totally. It comes from, uh, a couple of, of limiting beliefs and a couple of common, common pitfalls that I see the, probably the biggest limiting belief that I see business owners have is nobody can do this job as well as I can. Like I might be delegating the account management role, but if a client fire happens, I need to solve it. Or they didn't do the check-in call, right? Right. Right. As defined by how I would have done the check-in call. Right. So they are never satisfied truly delegating and transferring ownership until they've built this army of like mini me's who are executing that role exactly as they would. But the challenge with that is that you become the cap in your own business. If it's not a thought that you are capable of having, it's not a thought that's going to happen. If it's not an innovation that you yourself would do, then it's not going to take place. And who are we? How arrogant do we have to be to genuinely believe that we know all the right answers? Like seriously, nobody, right? And so it starts by breaking down that own limiting belief and saying somebody, it, actually success is not a mini me. Success is somebody bringing their own unique genius to the role and executing it in alignment with the desired outcomes that I set, right? You as the business owner are in charge of setting the direction, defining success, setting the targets they need to hit and transferring ownership for that target to them. They are responsible for figuring out how to get there, right? And so it's that. The other reason that I see business owners have a really hard time relinquishing control, and I totally get this, so it's fucking scary. And they haven't built the proper proactive communication within their business to feel safe, and to feel like they know what's happening in the business. And if something were to go wrong, they would know about it. So what that feels like is wearing a blindfold next to a cliff. Like it doesn't feel good, right? And it, it's yeah. scary. And so the natural tendency is want to re-step in, take control again, get back in the day-to-day, see what's going on. As opposed to putting in place data infrastructure and proactive, accurate data reporting so that you're able to see what's happening in the business without being in the business yourself. It looks like putting in place communication flows. So the proper qualitative data is flowing from the front line through your team of managers up to you so that you can know with confidence, you can take the blindfold off and know that, yeah, the cliff edge is there, but I don't need to jump back in. I see it. I see what's happening. And I have the data that I need to feel confident in my own decision-making. And like, I'm making the decisions that the company needs me to do because I actually do know what's going on, even if I'm not in the day-to-day. Yeah. And and that makes so much sense. You know, the analogy of the cliff and being blindfolded, it's like, it it is scary. There's a lot of risk, right? Like as leaders in the companies. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's your baby. Yeah. We're responsible. We're accountable. If things yeah. do go sideways and a client's coming back, like they want to talk us. to you, right? Yeah. Like it, it's yeah. on us. We didn't, you know, um, put those, those checks and balances in place. But then if we go too far with that and we don't trust these intelligent, educated um, people that are free thinkers and have ideas, if we don't trust these people we brought into our organization, like you said, creating an army of, you know, yeah. mini me's is not, is not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to grow that bottom line yeah. and it doesn't leave you open to, uh, to innovation and, and things like that. So such an interesting take. Um, mm. there's something that you say, uh, on, on your website, it says, I, I don't believe in work-life balance. Balance implies opposites, two things that act against yep. each other and cancel each other out to achieve some sort of neutral equilibrium. I believe in work-life yeah. harmony. I've never heard work-life harmony before. What does that look like? Talk to me about that for a little bit. So I can, the best example is probably my own life. I am uh, deeply into like the outdoors every weekend I'm out in the desert or I'm in the mountains, I'm skiing, I'm rock climbing. I told you, like I was first in, uh, I built my first business out of a van, right? Like we were traveling through North and South America while yeah. creating the company to me, that travel, those outdoor activities, spending time with my friends and family, that's an expression of me. Right. And most people I think get that, like, this is me, this is me showing up as yeah. myself at my best. I'm of the opinion that if you're the right person in the right role, working for the right company and in the right environment, work is also you. Work is an expression of your talents, your skill, your intellect, the things that are unique and special about you that you bring to the table. And your company is just a vehicle for you to translate all of that talent and potential into service, serving your clients, serving your team members, like it's, it's, it's service. And so to me, work and life, if I had to draw that distinction, are just two equal but different expressions of myself. They don't cancel each other out. I don't need to work for the weekend or play so hard that I show up on Monday exhausted. Like I'll bring my computer on a camping trip and I'll get some work done on the way down. And while I'm looking at the sunset over the mesas, I will, you know, hang out with a friend in the middle of the workday if they're in town because it fills me up and it makes me feel fulfilled. Like these things can integrate. And when you bring them into symbiosis and when both of them are just like an equal expression of yourself, then what I find is that my best ideas happen when I'm not at the desk, right? And where I find like so much fulfillment is in my day-to-day -day working life. And so these two things is as far as just like blurring, really I've just blurred the line between them. I don't see them as all that different when it's just me showing up in my highest potential and level of service that I can in that moment, whether I be working or playing or with my friends or whatever, then that's just me at my best. And that creates harmony. It creates something bigger than what I could be as an individual if I just worked or if I just played. I'm actually able to bring more to the world than that. That's incredible. And I can, I can feel and hear the other listeners nodding right now and just in yeah. agreement with you um because because i know you're a fan of of cameron harold you know yeah. we talked about the vivid vision a bit before we started recording here you know where are you headed what's next for you as we're wrapping up here give us the like three to five years as to where your consulting firm is headed jonna sure yeah so what i've realized marquis is that i solve exactly one problem that's it i connect businesses 
with the operations that they need to scale. Now, there's a whole bunch of ways that I do that, right? We hire operators. We train operators. We place students out of our training programs into digital businesses. I consult with companies. I step in and execute solutions with companies. Like, But it's all that same problem. And as far as where I see this business going, I think I'm just going to get better and better at solving that problem. And I'm going to solve that problem at a greater and greater scale. Really, really well said. Um, I wish you the best of luck. You, you've you so got, like I said, your process down and I'm so excited for all the other businesses you're going to um, encounter over the next several years and into the future. So uh, com. J-H-A-N-A-L-I.com. That's where you can uh, connect with Jana. Where else are you hanging out online where people can connect with you? Yeah, probably the best way to get in touch, guys, is through the website or you can find me on Facebook. Um, but reach out to me. I love hopping on free, genuinely free discovery calls with people, helping you figure out why your business may not be where you want it to be. Or if you're an operator, what the next step looks like for you and how I can support you. Um, genuinely, I love it. So reach out. I would love to uh, meet with you, chat with you and serve you if I can. Beautiful. And John has got some great uh, customer testimonial videos on there as well for you to check out. Thanks so much for being here, John. I appreciate your time. And uh, again, all the best to you in the future. Thanks, Marky. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marky Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. Head over to thinkditto.com to learn more about how the team at Ditto can help your business scale by implementing the systems and processes needed to get you there.